Welcome back to the second part of our two-part episode with Chris Smith, Managing Partner at Playfair Capital. We've introduced Chris before, so I won't take up any more of your time and instead just let you pick right up where we left off. Yeah, now I'm curious, Chris, because now you're doing pre-seed and pre-seed is, you can say, <laughs> the most difficult place to find the right founders. Because what data should you look at? The guys, many of them are first-time founders. They aren't well-versed in the VC ecosystem. They don't know where to go. Uh, uh, they don't just know Playfair is a force to be reckoned with. So how do you go about <laughs> approaching these guys who really, you have no idea where they're at? No round has been announced. How do you find them? <laughs> That's such a good question. But by the way, I think it's actually much harder higher up the capital structure because then you have a finite supply, right? And then you're com- yeah. everyone's competing with everyone. The nice thing about where we are is that there are so many founders. So actually, I do think that pre-seed founders now are incredibly savvy and do manage to find their way to us. So, you know, one of the metrics that we look at is kind of market coverage. So Mm -hmm. we kind of track founders and funding grounds to make sure that we're seeing the deals that we want to see, right? It's a kind of key metric we track. And our coverage is actually pretty good. I mean, we always want it to be better, uh, but we're doing a reasonably good job of founders knowing who we are, which is is Mm -hmm. important. We, We can always do better. But I also think for us, there's quite a lot of noise. So I personally am not, huge fan of b2c some of my team members are a fan so again i would not actively search in that space i would search in b2b so again i think there's a little bit of a targeted approach in terms of you know which accelerators that we want to get to know really well in terms of which events we might go to again in terms of the outbound that we do so there's a kind of on the one hand being this magnet to kind of make sure people know who we are but then being laser focused on our outbound and those two kind of combine And I think we get pretty good coverage doing that. Chris, do you have any views on scout programs? Yeah, I mean, I tend to think that in, we kind of, I would say informal scout networks work as well as formal scout networks. And I'm going to pause for a second now. I've just thrown that out there. (laughs) (laughs) We've thought about it a lot. And I think we have an incredible network. So when I joined Playfair, you know, the fund had already been around for a number of years. And so we receive incredible deal flow from our founders. You know, we've invested in 60, probably 70 companies now. We receive it from angels that have done deals with us or that we know um, and have known for years. We receive it from all the student organizations that we've mentored and been part of. So I feel like we have a very good sort of reach into the ecosystem. I think setting up a formal scout program is something that's always kind of on the agenda as maybe something we would look at. I think it's probably a huge overhead for a fund our size. And I'm not sure it would deliver much more return than we get from the relationships that we already have. Mm -hmm. However, I do think it's a great opportunity for people looking to learn about VC to take a role as a scout, mm-hmm. because that's a great opportunity to get feedback from a fund about the deals that they're bringing and everything. Yeah. Looking at your website, it's very clearly <laughs> to anyone that, that you're a young team. You're also talking about student organizations here, you mentoring them. How are your views on young first-time founders versus more experienced? I think we take every founder as they come, to be honest. I, I think the stats, I mean, I was, I was a Harvard Business Review article that came out essentially trying to say that the idea of the young successful founder is effectively a myth perpetuated by Silicon Valley and that the most successful founder is like a 47 year old guy I think unhelpfully. (laughs) I I think we tend to ignore that and I think we do take people as individuals so as I said I, I don't think we put too much weight on that we tend to be 
yeah, more focused on innate character traits, you know, things like their persistence and character and drive, domain expertise, all these things, right? These hundreds of data points of pattern recognition we've collected over the years to figure out whether we want to work with them. And things like coachability. I think one of the things about Playfair is we're not necessarily looking for the finished product and just saying, here's the money, go off and build a company. We're also very happy and quite excited to work with that founder and help them get to the next level. Let me grab that <laughs> and use that because um, we've been talking a lot about, you know, just now about the founder focus and so on. And you just ended on a note of you liking to add that value and building something, being involved, not being a completely hands-off. So can you take us a bit through the value add of Playfair for founders so we understand a bit more of your role in that relationship? Absolutely. I mean, I think the way we tend to work with founders, each of us really has it an area that we tend to focus on. So Joe is really our secret weapon. So Joe was at uh, Google and Facebook before he moved over to Playfair. And actually, he was our head of talent for a couple of years before crossing over to the investment team. So what do most founders need when they have some capital? They need to scale their team. And it's really, really hard, not just to find people, but to actually figure out who you need. So Joe will work very hands-on with the founders to figure that out. I think what most people understand by this is that maybe you'll get a kind of a playbook with PDF with some instructions or maybe like a, a phone call with some tips. You know, Joe screens CVs on a Sunday night for our founders. So with one of our companies, AeroCloud, he hired, I think it's now 12 people, and he's running that process. So screening CVs, first round interviews actually running and driving the process to the point where the company is big enough to hire a head of people to then take that forward. So to me, that's probably the most tangible thing to help the company scale. I tend to get involved a lot with sort of sales, marketing and PR. So a lot of our companies are deep tech, meaning that they will spend a lot of time, you know, whether it's building data sets, you know, refining models, figuring out their product, and then they'll get to a point where they need to sell it. And some of our founders, you know, have little you know, a little commercial experience and they need to figure out what is their, how exactly are they going to approach the market? You know, what does a good outbound email look like? Um, what does a good sales debt look like? And how do I incentivize the sales team? So I tend to work quite a lot on that, whether it's half-day strategy sessions, whether it's like a weekly check-in with the sales team, whatever it is. So I tend to work with them on that. And then Herrick and Jivan do a lot of work, financial modeling, sort of you know, budgeting, working on the deck for the next round. And yeah, we do a huge amount to then bring that all together. So we will have either full day or half day strategy days with the companies, either at their request, I would say most of the time, or occasionally we will see a company that's just at this critical point where something is maybe not quite right. Or we think, you know what, if we just have half day with them to really focus on something yeah. We think we can avoid a potential problem and we'll just suggest that gently to them and then they'll come into Warner Yard or we'll jump on a video call and we'll, we'll kind of do that session. So we had one with a company on product recently, we had another one on sales. Can you expand on that line of thought, but with relations to a topic that you also brought up, which is founder well-being? Because that's really interesting and I would like to show it our listeners. Yeah, I mean, I think being a founder is just the hardest job. <laughs> you are constantly, well, you're constantly working. <laughs> You're constantly under pressure. You know, you're managing your team, you're managing your investors, you're thinking about your runway. It's an incredibly stressful job and quite lonely as well, I think, actually, particularly if you're a sole founder. So we try, we're available to our founders. So this idea of just, you know, we're on WhatsApp with them, you can call us any time, I think is really important. It's really ingrained in our relationship with them. And then just as a, I guess it's a small token, really, but we set up a wellness program and with one of our portfolio companies, Eka, 
and said to our founders, look, you know, here is 50 pounds a month um, each to go and spend with Hika on any kind of well-being experience that you want. And the whole point of Hika is there's about 3,000 different experiences. It's very customized. So it's anything from physical experiences like, you know, yoga and Pilates through to mental well-being experiences like you can get the Calm app or you can get something like that or you can get food so you can get like kind of fresh delivered or whatever you need just to feel a little bit looked after and to take some pressure off and the uptake's been amazing so I think actually the majority of our founders in the UK are using that now. I had a question to when you talked about doing these strategy sessions and also the different value add of the partnership it sounds very much like you're a full partnership involved in every deal also after the deal so it's not just the due diligence and the decision to make the investment but also adding value afterwards is that understood correctly? I know that that's different from many VC firms. Yeah, I mean, that, that's right. So we do have, you know, one of the team will take a board seat, you know, whether it's director, observer, whatever. But the founders have access to all of us. So, you know, whatever they need at whatever time, they will get access to the full team. And I think what tends to happen is there are periods of very intense work with the founders and then there are periods where they need us a lot less or even not at all. So I think at the moment, we probably have there's 16 companies in the Fund2 portfolio. There's probably five, I would say, that fit in the category of working with all of us right now, having their strategy days, and they're using all of us for sales, for hiring, and everything else. So yeah, they get access to the whole team. And that's what we enjoy. I think there's probably a difference in mindset between wanting to do the what I would consider sort of half the role, which is finding the companies doing the deal, giving them the cash. That's fun. To me, that's kind of half of it. I like doing the other half, which is then really working with them, helping them you know, grow the company and then getting to the next level. How do you think about the fact that as a VC, you have a portfolio and some of them will turn out to be the stars and you're doubling down on them. And then you have others that turn out to be not so great investments. And as such, you're probably neither doubling down on them money-wise or time-wise. How do you think about that at Playfair? Yeah, I mean, I think our time allocation is, is really important. So actually, one of the reasons that we hired Jivan back in September w- was to recognize the fact that in this fund, we're going to do about 25 investments. We're 16 in so far. And we're trying to really calibrate that. So the amount of attention the companies are going to need versus the time we initially invest when they go through this intense period, we were a little bit under-resourced. <laughs> So we needed someone else to come in. And I think there will definitely be crunch points where, you know, you have a bunch of fundraisings going on at once and we get a little bit stretched. But in theory, a lot of those companies start to kind of graduate a little bit from needing intense support. And if we get it right, we should be able to support all of them. You know, in terms of them performing better or worse, it's kind of inverse, right? The ones that perform really well don't really need our help anymore. And the ones performing less well need more of our help, but probably shouldn't get as much of our time because it doesn't make any business sense. I think that's a classic kind of VC issue that we have to deal with. And actually, it's part of our kind of daily stand up as a team is to make sure that we're spending our time in the right places. Chris, we started this off by highlighting female founder office hours. I would love to give you the time also to you yourself talk about it and explain the access challenge that kind of led that initiative, so to speak, Um, the partnership with Tech Nation, you know, and I really want you to kind of also explain the whole process because you recently kind of created like an open book, right? For whoever wants to do it right. throughout the world. So it would be really cool to have you kind of guide us through that. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I need to go back to, well, middle of 2019 when we made the investment in a company called Vine Health. 
and two amazing founders, so Raina and Georgina. I just remember the day, actually, I was sitting in Warner Yard. Again, pre-pandemic, these, these happy days of being in the office. And I received the press release, the draft press release for the funding announcement. And it, it just hit me that there were two stats in there. That First of all, Vine Health was the company that had raised the most ever from EF for an all-female founded team, which at 1.2 million for the round. I mean, it's a good round, but it, like, it doesn't seem that huge. And then there's this statistic that only one P in every pound goes to all-female founded team. And I just think you remember at the time turning to my team and going... I can't, I can't be right. So I guess it was a, my own ignorance that I had just had no idea. And so it was a consequence of that that we said, look, we need to do something about this. This is absolutely crazy. You know, what, what is, why is this happening? Can we try and figure out what the problem is? And, you know, we don't know all the reasons this is happening, but one of the key ones seemed to be this reliance on warm introductions and existing network and kind of a lack of mentorship and access to investors. So, we said, look, why not just do tried and tested office hours, but we're going to make it for female founders. Let's just see what we can do. So we held a couple of events at Warner Yard. We had about 40 founders, I think, about 15 investors. It was basically just our friends who were investors came along. We invited founders, came in, uh, pitched their businesses or had kind of mentoring sessions. And it was great. I think it started conversations between founders who may not have got the opportunity to meet investors and, you know, maybe created some mentoring relationships that wouldn't have happened otherwise. My main takeaway also was it was incredibly noisy in Warner Yard, but it was a very productive day. But then we started to think about actually, is this really having an impact? And then the pandemic happened and we were kind of forced to put female founder office hours online. We met Tech Nation and also actually Microsoft for Startups and Google for Startups, who have subsequently become partners as well. And by going online, this whole thing exploded because we could give access not just to London, but also to UK-wide female founders. We're about to hit the fifth edition, which is going to be on the 6th of May. And you say now it's like 90 investors and 250 founders, and it has become much more structured. So it's four sessions, they're 15 minutes each, and it's either mentoring or pitching. And we're starting to see true results. So we have had about 18% of the founders who've come through the program have subsequently gone on to be funded. And we have a number of success stories, including Organize, who have been funded uh, having gone through the program. So it got so much bigger than we ever expected, uh, which is incredible. I think there aren't many good side effects of the pandemic that I can think of, but maybe this is one of them. That it forced us to go online. It gave access to more founders. And as a result, I guess it's having more of an impact than we could ever have hoped for. Has it affected, Chris, your thinking overall on events in the future? Because everyone knows how pricey it is to run a uh, physical event. It takes a lot of resources internally and all that. And the reach just isn't the same as if you do it online. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this event is probably always going to be remote. And I think there's an extra consideration here, actually, which is that I, I distinctly remember a founder at one of the first events we held in person who had traveled from Cornwall to be there, you know, and, and, you know, particularly when you're trying to reach people who are at the outset of their journey on being a founder, you know, if you're excluding people because of the cost of traveling somewhere or because they need to get childcare or just all these things, why not just remove the friction and, and hold it online? And I actually also think that these one-on-one -on -one video sessions are just as impactful. They're just as intimate. I think, you know, you can form just as good a relationship at the outset as you can in person. And it's not as noisy. So mm -hmm. from yeah. that perspective, it's probably <laughs> even better. Maybe we should pass the mic to you to just dispel some myths about female founders because VC world is still a world that is biased by the fact that most investors are men and many of them are also 
a tiny bit older than, than us here. In, in the hopes that some of them are listening here, what would you like to say to them? I think one of the main problems is people's reliance on their network and familiarity with their and comfort with their network. So, you know, we've been not only through this initiative, but we have an open pitch form for exactly that reason. This is much more than about female founders, right? This is about founders from every possible background. I just think that if the industry continues to rely on warm introductions from friends and connections, we're going to just keep investing in the same people that are already in the industry. So I would just encourage people just have that much broader perspective on who's out there and who's building companies. And I would also ask people to challenge their thinking and challenge their perceptions. So you know, actually, when someone pitches you, we talked before about how some of the team you know, like certain businesses and don't like other businesses. You know, we're really trying to challenge ourselves. So when we say we don't like a business, you know, we always ask ourselves why. And it's something that came across from Female Founder Office Hours, actually, with a number of the founders said, I feel very uncomfortable when I'm pitching to a, a group of men at a fund if it's a femtech business. Mm. You know, and that, yeah. that really shouldn't be the case because you must be able to, you know, look at a business beyond your personal experiences, right? We're not very good investors if all we do is extrapolate our own experience of the world. So I think just trying to do that and frankly, be better investors uh, it's something I'd encourage everyone to do. Awesome. Chris, we are running out of time, unfortunately. And this is now the final section of our conversation, of our episode here. And it's a quick fire round. So it's a set of quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay, cool. First question. What would you personally like to change about VC in Europe? Oh, stop comparing ourselves to the US. It's just <laughs> Love it. un unnecessary. And, you know, I'm part of the Kaufman Fellows. You mentioned it at the beginning. And actually a lot of the... US VCs who are coming along and talking to our class keep telling us mm -hmm. all or many of the big future companies are being built in Europe. And the Americans keep saying that, yet we keep thinking we're inferior to the US. We're not. I love that. Second question, what is an unloved sector that you think is particularly ripe for disruption? I think uh, waste management, actually. Uh, <laughs> and I am going to plug one of our own companies here called Recycleye. But I, I think, yeah, waste management and dealing with plastics and pollution and this issue of particularly the oceans is huge. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't find that a particularly sexy or attractive space to get involved with. But absolutely huge opportunities there to make a positive impact and build big companies. We'll keep our eyes peeled for waste management deals. Third question, Chris, what do you strongly believe in that most people around you don't? The, the cold inbound is just as good as a warm introduction. Fourth and last question, what can we expect in the future from Playfair and also from Chris Smith? I say more of the same. Um, <laughs> look, I think the thing I'm most excited about, um, we're actually launching a founder's studio. So we actually have a dedicated space in our building, which we're launching in the next couple of months. It's kind of in classic, I guess, VC, like beta testing, maybe alpha testing right now in a kind of COVID secure, everyone like miles apart um, at the moment. But we really recognize that so many of our founders have given up their office space and really it makes no sense to have a full-term lease, but they do want to get together for, for short periods. So that's going to be launching in the next couple of months. And then for me, I mean, they're going to carry me out of Playfair in a box. So I'm here for the, I'm here for the long run. Love that. Ah, that's so cool, Chris. Thank you for being so generous with your time, Chris. We really appreciated having you here on the European VC and we'll be sure to keep sharing everything that's coming from your side. Yeah, we love it. Great. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode with Chris Smith, Managing Partner at Playfair Capital. If you'd like to see more from Chris, do follow him on LinkedIn. The European VC is your go-to podcast for insights into European VC. 
Follow us at theeuropeanmedia.com or whichever podcasting platform you prefer. If you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please do reach out to us. We are always there for you.